fix it well with my soul and with all of our souls. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it goes, but we'll make it work. Good morning, everybody. Man, I hope you had a good Christmas. I hope you ate too much and took a nap. Man. You know, it's kind of an intimate crowd today, so I'm not going to worry about the time. How's that sound? Becky is with me. She didn't have lunch prepared anyway, so no. I'm totally just kidding. Totally just kidding. Hey, uh, Miss Lo- uh, Miss Linda, come on. Yeah, come on down right now. Miss Linda, this is the first time Miss Linda's been here in the, like, uh, I don't know, maybe all year because of COVID and, and different things. No, it was like, you know, since all this started. So she's got to untie herself. From her mask. <laughs> All right. So we're just going to play it loose today. I would say fast and loose, but loose, all right? Oh, I'm going to need that mic back. Yellow microphone. All right. Uh, no, nah, you, you've already, you're already immune from what I hear, so, yes. all right. <laughs> Can you all hear me? Yes. Okay, I'm going to make this real short because we want to hear from Pastor. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit this morning told me I need to testify to his wonderful goodness. And all of his words are true. Yeah. I have battled one health attack after another since December 26th of last year. Wow. Um, back surgery finally came about August 21st. 100% successful. Amen. I asked for prayer amen. before that surgery. Yeah, amen. But then, the first snow, I started coughing. Uh, I was trying to avoid COVID because I work at public health. Yeah. And November 30th, I became ill with COVID-19. And again, I couldn't come. I couldn't praise the Lord because I couldn't talk. I couldn't sing. The coughing and lack of breath was horrible. So I'm not contagious anymore, but that continued. And I am so ashamed to tell you I did not reach out and ask for prayer. I mean, we need to pray together for one another. Amen. We need to ask the Lord, what am I to learn from this? I can't share the gospel. I can't testify. I can't sing and glorify his holy name if my lungs are not functioning. Finally, God bless Michael Longfellow. He commented on a Facebook post and said he missed me, that you all missed me, and I begged for prayer. Amen. Yesterday was horrible. The coughing was unbelievable. I just kept thanking him for healing me because I couldn't serve him without lungs. And this morning, barely coughed at all. And the whole, I'm, I'm reading this scripture, and he's telling me, you get out there and you step out on the water like Peter, Peter, you keep your eyes on me, you keep thanking me for the healing, and then you get, you get to church, you share with your body, Amen. you encourage them, reach out for prayer, don't be too proud to ask for help, Amen. and you've got to pray in faith, or you won't receive and so then I started coughing, driving here. I just kept him. And look at me. I can talk. I can praise his name. I haven't been able to sing to him for so long. And I can sing. So praise his holy name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Mm-mm. Mm. God bless you. Awesome. 
That is good stuff. You guys, do you have a song that's like your song that carries you through? Like it's, and, and I'm going to ask you to shout a few out, and, and if they're weird, I might ask you to explain. So like if you say the hokey pokey, I want to know more how that became your song. But I mean, does anyone have a song that's like on your bad days or your, the days that are challenging you turn on? Or uh, Does anyone have a song? Shout it out. I can only imagine. There's a good one. Bart Miller. What was that? A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Some hymns here. Hallelujah. Shirley? Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. What was that, Tommy? Competence? Okay. The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. Glorious day. Michael, go ahead, man. You're smiling. You're about, it's about to fall out. Go ahead, let it. No longer a slave. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I know that one. Waymaker? Oh, that's a newer one. That's good. Anybody else? God only knows. Yes, and I will vouch for him. Came and loves God only knows. I have it memorized, and I can't stand the song. So, no. I'm just kidding. I used to love it, but we've listened to it a lot. Thanks. Linus and Lucy. Okay, I want to hear more. <laughs> How is that? What is it? Is this a piano player thing? Oh, okay. All right. Good. Thank you. That's good. So, um, mine is it as well. You know, as I wrote the sermon, there wasn't a tear in my eye. But anyway, I guess I'm, we'll see how we go. <laughs> I cannot tell you the times that... Uh, a line of that song has come to my mind or I have belted out in the car as loud as I could driving from one point of bad news to the next point of bad news. Um, It's just amazing to me that I know people who've gone through the most horrific of circumstances and somehow they managed to be okay. And I know a taste of that from some of my own circumstances that I have endured and almost enjoyed because God is with us. That's what Christmas was about, right? The Emmanuel, God is with us. I I don't know about you, but I I would like to be more like Jesus. How about you? Anybody else want to be more like Jesus? I'd like to be more like Jesus. Now, I don't know what, when, when we say more like Jesus, I don't know what that means to you. It may mean to you more loving, more kind, more compassionate. But one of my favorite things about Jesus was that he took naps. <laughs> he did. Now you're saying, Michael, you're just trying to be funny. No, no, I want you to think about this for a second. One of the coolest naps in the Bible was in a boat that was being tossed around by a raging storm, and Jesus was napping like crazy. All right? He was napping so hard, they, could, they, they had to wake him up. I promise you there isn't a storm in my life you've got to wake me up for. I promise you. I promise you. I see it coming. I worry about the storm that never comes. That's me. Okay? Anybody knows me knows I'm that way. But not Jesus. Jesus was so at peace in his Father that his circumstances really weren't that big of a factor for him. He, he didn't ignore them, but they just weren't the priority concern for him. Ever. Even all the way up to his crucifixion. 
even at that moment, it just looks like you can plainly see the circumstances he's enduring are not an issue for him because he is at peace and his circumstances don't matter. So I think that's one of the keys of being more like Jesus, being someone who's at peace and, and your circumstances not being able to ruffle that peace. Now, I'm not saying that you, don't, that you ignore reality. I, I hate teachings and leadership books that basically tell you to just put on a smile and act like everything's okay until it's okay. That will not work. That will break you eventually. I know. I, I've seen it. I've read all the books and tried a lot of the practices. But there is a way to live as a Christian, and the only people who can do it are Christ followers, by the way. The only people who can do it are Christ followers. Anything outside of that, Buddhism, any other relaxation-oriented, meditation-oriented religion is a self-deception to get you through. Christianity anchors you in a place that is beyond your comprehension, in a place that's actually supernatural. Jesus is, according to Hebrews, an anchor that pierces the veil and anchors into the very throne room of God. And we'll talk about how grace causes that to be in a minute. So obviously the, the hymn we're talking about today is It Is Well. And I uh, had a, I'm, I'm going to jump over to the guy who wrote it, Horatio Spafford. Uh, everybody has bad years. And in 2020, everybody had a bad year, I guess. I, I don't know. Or, I don't know. I saw a picture this morning on Facebook where people were cracking the door to 2021 with a 10-foot pole peeking through to see what was there. And uh, I don't know what's there. I know Jesus is there, so I'm not too worried about it. Uh, it might be a roller coaster ride, but uh, Jesus is on there somewhere, right? Horatio Spafford, let me tell you a little bit of a story. This, he, he lived in the 1800s. He was personal friends with D.L. Moody and one of his financial supporters. He was a lawyer and a, and a businessman. Um, a few months before the Chicago fire... He lost a son to pneumonia. The Chicago fire happened. He was invested heavily in the lakefront properties, and that's where the fire was. He lost almost everything in the Chicago fires. In 1871, I believe it was. 1873, a few years later, he decided his family needed a break from the city life, and he planned a vacation to Europe. And so they were ready to go. On the date they had to go, he had a business problem pop up, and he had to stay behind, so he sent his wife and three daughters ahead. His wife and three daughters are uh, on a, sail, a, a ship, steamer, to Europe, and they are struck by another ship. The ship sank in 12 minutes. Two weeks later, he receives a telegram, a cable from his wife, with two words, saved alone. And he immediately got on a boat and traveled to her location, I believe in Wales. The story of the hymn is that as he is in that section of the ocean where his three daughters were lost, is where the inspiration for the hymn came to him. What I want you to see is that, in fact, this is the case with most of the hymns, this isn't just, these are often not just someone who sat around and tried to think up creative rhyming words that would be catchy in church. Hymns, many songs and hymns come from places of heartache and pain. Places where people are encountering God in their worst moments. And, and I'm here to tell you, 
It is in your worst moments, the the biggest challenges of life, that you are going to come to comprehend God in ways you never could have before. God is awesome on the mountaintops when you see his glory and you're like the the disciples who are like, man, we should just build church right here and hang out here. He's awesome there in his glory, but it's in the valleys that you really get to know him. It's in the valleys and in the pain and in the sorrow that you really come to understand how much uh, God understands, how much he cares for you, and how much he gets what you're going through. So today I'm going to climb into a psalm, Psalm 22. I'm going to read most of it, although I'm jumping around. Psalm 22 is known as the crucifixion psalm. It is a heartbreaking psalm to read. Because as you read it, it's one thing to read it as a psalm. It can lose you a little bit. I, I recommend a newer translation just to grasp so that some of the words are modernized. But when you read it and you realize that these are the thoughts in the heart of Jesus on the cross for us, this is the things that Jesus, these are the things that Jesus endured for us, it really opens up the psalm for you. So let me just read a few select passages out of it and let's get started. Psalm 22, 1 and 2 says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice. But I find no relief. Verse 8 says, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? It's the voice of accusers. Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Then back to the hero of the story. Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near and no one else can help me. Let's start today thinking about the weight of our trials that that God is with us through. Nobody's life is easy. I mean, we're all blessed. We all receive things we don't deserve. We all have incredible gifts. But nobody's life is, is easy in this world. Everybody has their own challenges, and those challenges are, are tough for every person that endures them. And so I want to take a minute and think about these, these trials and how God helps us through them. And the first thing I think about when I think of trials, you know, I, I've been with people through some really bad things over my years of ministry. I, I've, I've been there and prayed with people through some terrible moments in their life. But most of life is the ordinary stuff. That, that's just something I've noticed. Most of life is the ordinary. You get up. You'll get up tomorrow morning unless you have some time off or some days off and and it'll be a Monday and you'll have your coffee or your Mountain Dew or your Red Bull or whatever it is you do and you'll get your day fired up and, and you'll head off to the store, the office, the job site, whatever it is. And that'll, you do that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday unless something special is going on. It's just ordinary stuff. But here's the thing. Most people really hate most of their lives. They hate going to work. They hate their boss. They can't stand it. It's just a drudgery. Oh, it's another week, another day, another dollar, another day deeper in debt, and all these expressions. You know, I love, I love the quote that uh, John Eldridge uh, uses from St. Arrhenius that's, that says, uh, no, it's from... Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the, the glory of God. No, it's St. Arrhenius. The glory of God is man fully alive. It's the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism that talks about us enjoying God. What if one of your purposes in life 
is to actually enjoy God every ordinary day. What if that was it? What if that was your job? What if your job was to go to your job and enjoy God at your job? Say, well, you don't know my boss. I don't, but I've had a lot of bosses over the years. And I loved all of them. In theory. In practice, it was a little bit more challenging. I've been a boss, and all my employees adored me. In theory. But in practice, it was a very different thing. All I'm saying is, most of your life is going to be ordinary day after ordinary day after ordinary day. Instead of enduring it until something good happens, why don't you enjoy it until the next enjoyable thing happens? How can you do that? Well, the Bible tells us in Scripture to to do everything to the Lord. to, to, To do everything for His honor and glory. So instead of making your job as a place where you just pay the bills from, make it a place where that you enjoy and serve God in that job. Why not change your attitude? Okay, so yeah, most of life is one ordinary day after another. But some of life is tragic. Some of life is tragic. Some of life is, there are going to be truly difficult days on the calendar of your life. They're going to stink. Here's the problem. I am the person who is waiting for the horrible day, dreading the horrible day, not enjoying the, ten, the 9 out of 10 ordinary days. And so then when the terrible day shows up, here's, what, here's my attitude. Here's, the terrible day shows up, here's Michael. Now, I knew you were coming. I knew I, it was too good to be true. I, I, I got out of bed this morning and my neck didn't hurt. I knew something bad was going to happen because something good did. Is anyone else like me? Does anyone else think that way? I'm the only pessimist, cynicist, huh? I'm Eeyore. (laughs) I really want to mimic Eeyore now, but I could just ask John to talk, because sometimes John sounds like Eeyore, but he doesn't have the attitude of Eeyore. But anyway, sometimes John says, how you doing, Michael? And I'm like, that sounds like Eeyore. Anyway, the point is, What if we enjoyed the ordinary days so well that the terrible days surprised us? Think about this. Think about this. Why not let the terrible days be a surprise? Instead of every day going, things are going too well. My wife and I haven't fought in a week. It's coming. I don't even know what it's about, but I know something's coming. I never know what it's about when we're having it, but still, I know it's coming. We got all the bills paid this month. Oh, next month. There's got to be a surprise. I've forgotten something. You know, I'm feeling pretty good today. Uh, it won't last. I'll probably, I'll probably sleep wrong and throw my neck out and have to go see Frank and have him straight, stretch me back out on that traction contraption. You should call it that, Frank, the traction contraption. It's hard to say. I like it. <clears throat> Most of my days that are bad are ruined by like 10 minutes. It's really annoying to me that I can let one 10-minute interaction, piece of news, email, text, I could let one 10-minute fragment of my day ruin the next 23-plus hours or the next 10 days, okay? 
And so I'm just saying, what if we enjoyed the ordinary days so much that when the tragic days come, we were surprised by them? And here's another thought. And instead of, and when we are surprised by the tragic days, I want to warn you of some things. The next tragic day that shows up on your calendar, I want to remind you of something, and it's this. What it seems like is not what it is like. What do I mean? What it seems like is not what it is like. It will seem like God doesn't love you on your bad days. It will seem like God took his hand off the wheel of your life that day and let you wreck. It will seem like God is not concerned about you. It will seem like God is mad at you and out to get you. All of those things it will seem like, and it will seem like it is that way, because there is a voice in our world that is dark and that is hateful and that is evil, and he's always lying about God your Father. And he's always taking every color of the darkness of your life and accusing God the Father for them when he's the one who actually perpetrated them. And so what it seems like, it will always seem like God is losing, God is mad at you, whatever it is, whatever, it will always attack your faith. But that's not what it is like because what you need to know and the anchor of your faith that you must hold on to is always this, God is good. God is good and he is good to me. God is good and he is good to me. God wants the best for you. God, God roots for, he's your biggest cheerleader in all of eternity. God cares about you. Now, I'm not trying to minimize God with that image. Please don't let that happen in your mind. I'm just saying that the creator of the universe is for you, and he's declared the value of you by the sacrifice of his son on the cross. He thinks you're worth divine blood to save you. That's your actual value. So in your tragic moment, you have to speak it. You have to praise it. You have to believe it. As Sister Linda just pointed out, God is good to me. God is good to me. So in those moments and in those heavy trials, it is not a time for fear. It is a time for worship. You see, that's why I love it as well. That's why I love the song. It's why it means so much to me. Because my life can feel like a raging sea, and I want to be like Jesus napping in the boat. In fact, generally, I want to do the napping part. But sometimes life is chaotic. And like the hymn says, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it's well. It's well with my soul. Now, that's the ordinary stuff and the tragic stuff. But there's something even deeper than that that's even more significant than just the hardships of life. Something more important. And this is where we actually move into grace. Psalm 22, starting in verse 15. The psalmist writes prophetically as the voice of Jesus from the cross. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You've laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice from my clothing. Oh Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to our aid, to my aid. 
You see, as difficult as life is, the real and most serious issue every human being has to deal with is this issue of sins. You see, the passage I just read in Psalm 22 is Jesus dying on the cross in your place. The voice you hear is the voice that all of us should have have been given the condemnation to shout. Because that's what it was to suffer and die for sins. But here's the thing. The problem is, is deeper than a thing called sins. And I'm really tired of people making a joke about the idea of sins. The reason death is in the world is because of sins that are rooted in this problem that we have called sin. Say, so what's the difference, Michael? Well, there are a lot of apple trees in the country, not in Wyoming, but in the country. I got some friends with some plum trees. Right now, if you walked up, I would not be able to identify an apple tree, a plum tree, or even a cactus probably by its limbs or stems, by the sticks hanging off of this now dead tree, what looks dead. But in the spring, I would go and look and there would be blooms and then next summer we'd see fruit come out of it. Why do apple trees grow apples or plum trees grow plums? Do, are, do they become an apple tree the second they produce an apple? Or are they born, quote unquote, apple trees? And that's why they produce apples. You see, we have the problem with sins in our life. Failures, we like to call them. Actually, we prefer the word mistakes because it alleviates even more blame. We, we like to think that, we, uh, that, that those sins, you know, they come... We, they come from a place other than ourselves, our circumstances, or it's someone else's fault. But the truth is, we all have sin in our root. We, we commit sins because of sin singular. And something had to be done about that. God had to do something that you couldn't do. And so when I, I think of the, the weight of life, that's one thing. But what really gets me all excited is the reality that God dealt with my sins. <sighs> my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, all oh my soul. I was going to read it, but I couldn't. Man, there's no reason in the world there's no reason in my goodness, there's no good thing I could ever do that could ever rate with God, that could ever get me even noticed by God. But this God who took time to notice, took time to pursue me. You see, this is what grace is about. God's grace captures our sin and our sins. All of it. All of it. I, 
Man, you realize the moment you said yes to Jesus and you surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior and you took that first act of obedience and you were baptized, all of that, wrapping that together, you realize that all of that declares you innocent and it takes all of the sins, all of them, and heaps them on Christ. Past, present, future. That's why God likes you, by the way. I, I, I know people are like, man, I don't think God likes me. He's put everything you've done wrong on Jesus Christ. There is nothing left about you for him not to like. And so this grace captured all that sin. And yes, we, we live in a, a world that's broken and corrupt and terrible things happen. And we don't, I think our problem is not, our problem is that we just don't understand and can't reach into God's grace. I don't know if you realize this or not, but everything that's wrong with you has been nailed to the cross with Jesus, and everything that's right about you is produced out of the life of Jesus in you. And I think, I think we have a, a, a co, an unhealthy, toxic, codependent relationship with a dead person. I, 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 think, I think we got this toxic relationship with someone who's dead, and we're trying to get through our lives, and we're like, well, I was hurt when I was young, and, and terrible things have happened to me, and, and I did terrible things, and I hurt people, and all that kind of stuff. And that dude's dead. That dude's nailed the cross with Jesus Christ. That's what grace does. You know, your problem isn't dealing with the past. Your problem is letting go of the past and walking into a future. Your, your problem is, is realizing that when Jesus said you must be born again, that you actually were born again when you were saved. That's a new life, not a reformed life. There's nothing left to fix. Have you ever tried to fix a dead person? It's even harder than trying to fix a husband, ladies. All right? Learning to walk in, that's what grace does. The, the price was high. To do it, God paid the blood of Jesus. You know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So, we are freely forgiven. The weight of our troubles, God is with us. The weight of our sin, the debt of our sin, God has paid. Everything I deserve, Jesus took. Everything Jesus earned, I receive. That's what the gospel does. That's what grace does. And so, the last thing I want to talk to you about is something Christians need to start talking about more. And it's the hope of eternity. It's a shame... That things are such in this world that people would like to receive blessing and hope from this life and forget about what's coming. This life is a bad movie that I can't wait to get out of. The next life, you see, Christians live differently. When you follow Christ, you live differently. And what that means is, is you begin to live in a way that, that reframes your world. Let me jump into Psalm 22 and come back into this. Psalm 22, verse 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you. 
among your assembled people. Verse 24, for he, God, has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. For the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all nations. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything that he has done. You know, we live in a world with a lot of needs. And, and, and I love it when Christians rise up to tackle those issues of social needs. They, they feed the hungry. They clothe people who need clothes. They take care of families at Christmas. I love it when they rise up to, to fight for, for abused people or people that are coming out of the prison system who've suffered in life. Those things are wonderful. And Christians are here to do that. You should have a mission like that in your life. Your mission in life has got to be bigger than you. Right? That's another sermon. But people need more than food and shelter and clothes. When Jesus was on earth, he walked among us, and he supernaturally did things. He did stuff that only Jesus could do. I mean, he raised people from the dead. I mean, that's stuff that only Jesus can do. And I personally think it's a ministry model. I think God wants us to go out there and do stuff that only Jesus could do. I I do, and I know that sounds a little terrifying. Good. If your faith doesn't scare you a little bit, it's not a very big faith. And so they need more than that. But here's the, here's, the, here's the rest of it. Yes, there are needs in our world. But here's the thing. What's coming is better than what is. I love the fact that Paul one time said, Man, if there is no Christ, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then I've wasted my life. I'm putting it in a Michael Maynard paraphrase here. He basically said, if there's no Christ, then I've wasted my life. I hate it when Christians say, well, you know what, even if I, if I get to death and I find out that it, none of it's true, I'll at least have had a good time living with the Lord while I'm here. That is not a biblical phrase. <laughs> because Paul said, if there's no Jesus, I threw away everything. Why? The Bible talks, have you, I don't know if you've read it or not, but it's loaded with this thing called sacrifice. It's loaded with sacrifice. It's a very un-American thinking, I know. But that's what's there. How does someone live a sacrificial life? Well, they can only do that if they know that on the other side of their tombstone is the reward. I want you to think for a second of you the best moment of your life, your happiest moment. Maybe it was the day you were married. Maybe it was when your, your first child was born. Maybe it was some promotion at work or, or some completion of a degree. Or the day she said yes, or the day he asked, or however that went down. I want you to think of the happiest you have ever been. And I want to tell you something about that moment. I'm not trying to be a bummer here, but let me just point it out. In your happiest moment, even then, there was a shadow of some kind. You were afraid. It wouldn't last. It wouldn't work out. That the other shoe would drop. You ever heard that expression? That I'm not even sure what it means. I'm going to have to look it up one of these days. Where You just know that you got good news and now there must be some bad news to follow because that's how life is. I, I want you to think of that and I need you to grasp that that is a reality. And here's what I want to tell you. 
What if I told you that on the other side of your tombstone are the most joyous things you could ever experience and there are no shadows? There are no tears. No sorrow. There's coming a day, my friends, where you will never fear a bad thing ever happening to you again. It's on the other side of what you think is the worst bad thing that could happen, the doorway of death. But on the other side of that door is Jesus. He said He'd meet you there. That was His promise. If a man believes in Me, he'll never see death. Every person I talk to that's getting close to die, I share that verse with them because I want them to know dying is scary. But the promise of Jesus is that when the death's door cracks, He is there. And I want you to know, this life, your life may be good, things may be going well, and it may be bad. Live for the next one. Live for the life that nothing can be taken from you. Live for the life where no one gets sick and dies, where money doesn't get stolen or lost or taxed. No taxes in heaven. Sorry, random thought. Random thought, I'm better now. I love what Keith Green said, and I came, it was in a song, he had a, a monologue in one of his songs, and if you don't know who Keith Green is, it's because you're not a 70s Christian music nerd like me or 80s. He said, God spent six days creating this earth with its Tetons and Yellowstones and oceans and seas and beautiful green places and even gorgeous deserts. Even Rock Springs is pretty if you look at it through the right eyes. God spent six days creating this. And Jesus said in John 14 that He's going to prepare a place for me. That was 2,000 years ago. He's been spending 2,000 years working on a place for me. I must be living in a garbage can by comparison. I don't know what that place is. But whatever place with Jesus... That's got to be a great place to go. You see, that's why it can be well with your soul. I've had several friends. I, every year, I know more and more people are there than here. One day, I'll hit that point where I know more people at home than I do here. I can't tell you how many of them have said, you know what? They go through a sickness. They'd say, you know what? I know Jesus is going to heal me. It might be in his presence or it might be here, but I know he's going to heal me. That's a beautiful thing to hear. It's cool when he does it here, but it's better when he does it there. For me to live as Christ, but to die as gain is what Paul said. That's why it can be well with your soul. What happens here matters less than you think. When you get home, all of the cares of this life, he's going to wipe those tears away. It's going to be done. You understand? So whatever the tragic day is, Get past the lies of the moment. Worship the God who will get you through it. And then, my friend, have hope. Because this ain't all she wrote. It is well with my soul. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have hope. I thank you that Jesus is coming back. I pray that every soul that could possibly be saved will be saved. I know that your love will make that happen. 
I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling today that they will surrender to Jesus and they will find their life in Him. And I pray that for myself. No one will know how much of this sermon was actually for me. But Lord, I surrender to You and we surrender to You. I pray that You give us that grace to walk into our new person, our new identity, toward our heavenly home. Until one day we shake off this house of flesh And we put on a body that we could never have imagined and enjoy eternity with you as our Father in Jesus and through His Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.